how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Will artificial intelligence destroy YouTube? That's the first question we answer today on the show. We're also going to be discussing this idea of the lean creator startup. Then we're going to be talking about if you can actually upload less to grow more. We also play AI-generated versions of our voice, and we're curious to know if you guys can figure out which ones are real and which ones are AI. Welcome to another episode of Creator Support, the show where we answer your questions about the business of being a creator. If you make it to the deep end, let us know. Okay, a lot of interesting developments in our office this week. We have a basketball hoop upstairs. <laughs> we do a, a mini, a very mini, mini basketball hoop, which has been really fun to play with. But it's also been chaotic. Yeah, it's been chaotic because it's right in the editing area, mm -hmm. which congregates everyone. The ball is landing on computers. Yes. Hitting people in the face, knocking over coffees. Sure. It's destructive. But very fun. Yes. Part of the chaos of that area has also been some of our recent discoveries of artificial intelligence. That's true. And We've had some strange experiences this week. Really strange experiences. And, you know, we get a lot of questions about AI. How are creators going to use AI? A lot of people are making videos about how creators are going to use AI. What's been really strange is how integrated it naturally is into our workflow. And I want to bring up this question. This comes from the Leah and Blair slog on YouTube. It's actually not a question. It's a comment, but I want us to react to it. AI is about to destroy YouTube. First, do you believe the statement, AI is about to destroy YouTube? I don't believe that statement. I think AI will be a tool that, as we just said, sort of starts to integrate into people's workflow, into videos, and it's barely noticeable. I'll give you an example. Okay. Our first main channel upload of the year, mm, yeah. the interview with Austin Kleon. Yeah. The title for that video two days before was Solving... The, no, the solution to plagiarism on YouTube. Yeah. And then Chris ran it through ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. And it came up with the title, The Copy and Paste Culture of YouTube. Yeah. And he sent that to us. And at first I was sad. Why were you sad? I, I felt strange that the best title I could come up with uh -huh. was The Solution to Plagiarism on YouTube. And that in an instant, there was this title from ChatGPT that was simpler yeah. That didn't use the word plagiarism, which can be uh, a difficult word to read and latch onto if you're scrolling YouTube. All of a sudden, ChatGPT. Yeah. Here it is. This is better. And then I realized you and I still had to choose the title that was the best and make adjustments. There were 10 options yeah, yeah, yeah. for us. Because the input was Chris, Chris put in the title and said, give me more intriguing titles based on this title. Yep. And it gave us 20. Mm -hmm. And we all agreed that that one was the most interesting. It stuck out. Um, but it also, like, the, the thing that you have to recognize across all of this, everything that's happening in AI currently, present day, is it's based on human inputs. Mm -hmm. So we made a video. We needed a title. We asked AI based on something that we had done to support us and give us more ideas. Um, so it's still based on our 
inputs. And then you're right, we're curating and selecting mm -hmm. what matters after the our fact. Our preference, our opinion, our taste matters mm -hmm. once we see the options that yeah. AI gives us. And I think even in the... But what I want to say is that's an example of that video came out. It has that title. No one watching until now knew that that title was generated by AI. Yeah. Yep. Right? So yeah. that's just seeping into, you know, our collection totally. of videos. People are watching it and they don't even know where AI played a role or where it didn't. We were playing around with Adobe Firefly mm -hmm. in the office as well, which is the, you know, AI tool that Adobe has released. That's kind of like Photoshop with AI. Yeah. Very strange that you can go text to image, mm -hmm. you know, like that's, that's such a strange thing that you can now type in what you want. Hey, I want a background that's green grass and blue sky. Now think about creating thumbnails. There's definitely people working on thumbnails like that. So- right? For example, you can also change text and have mm -hmm. text that's interestingly designed. Yeah. For example, let's say for the sake of this episode, the words creator support, the name of the show, come up with a description and we'll put it on screen for those who are watching on YouTube. Um, how about made of donuts? So there it is. There it is. If you're watching on YouTube, you just saw it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, the concept of like destroying YouTube, right? What does that, what does that mean? I think there's probably a world where artificial intelligence can understand how to make extremely engaging videos, like listicles, right? Like top three things. Like it can probably figure out how to make those list style videos that don't require a human touch. Mm -hmm. That might become more prevalent over the next couple of years. There was a YouTube channel when we first started out called Passion for Profession. Do you remember this? Yeah. A fitness channel that had millions. I mean, each video had 80 million views and mm -hmm. it was an animation with a, I think, AI generated voice mm -hmm. instructing the workouts. And I remember discovering it and you and I both would use it for workouts. You just turn it yeah. on and it would instruct you. So I, st I think that will happen. There will be stuff that doesn't require but then the slingshot will also happen of the other side is I crave the human taste, human taste, human perspective, stuff that makes it impossible um, for someone to replace. Jay Alto um, tweeted this morning. He said, if AI can replace your videos, AI isn't the problem. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of tweet. a bar. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good, good bar, Jay. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Now, where I do think we're going to see AI infiltrate a little bit more is probably in the audio space. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what we've been playing around with in the office and we'll play some samples, but a headline that I saw that was really interesting that plays into this is Quackity, the streamer, yeah. said that, or announced that there will be the first ever multi-language Minecraft stream mm. where in real time you can watch and it will dub the voices and you can like or I don't know if it'll dub, but you can watch in any language that you want in real time. In real time. In real so, time. So they're like streaming. Yeah. And you can choose a language that in real time it will be translated. Yes. That's amazing. That's crazy. Because you think about, I, it was such a revolution last year that creators were dubbing their content. Mm -hmm. Such a revolution. But imagine if that happens live. Yeah. Someone could be watching a live stream. And it's happening. And everyone anywhere in the world can watch live mm -hmm. in their own language. So- when we're talking about audio, um, what's been happening here in our office is we've been playing around with Descript, um, which is a tool. And it, it, we gave our consent to Descript. We loaded in our voices. 
gave our consent that Descript could create AI versions of our voices. Now we have four files here in front of me and we don't know where the AI is, but one of these for each of us has a line of AI generated voice. So let's listen to these. Let's see if we can figure it out. Let's also see if all of you guys can figure it out. Okay, so this is the first one from me. Now, no matter how you're generating your ideas, before you start to make them, there is one thing left to do. You are going to filter them through your value prop. Okay, that's me, number one. Here's Samir, number two. We call these types of creators professional enthusiasts. We're reacting to creators that are popular, trends that are popular. We're looking at an industry and actually making videos reacting to it. So one is real and one is AI? There's a line of AI in one of those. Could you pick out the line of AI? I can because I know my intonation, but yeah. can you? No. I'll play one again. Now, no matter how you're generating your ideas, before you start to make them, there is one thing left to do. You oh. are going to filter them There is one thing left to yeah. do. So, but yeah. I mean, you didn't catch mm. it the first time around. Yeah. My intonation is a little off there, mm. but pretty convincing. Let's listen to you. I think you'll be able to know you better. Okay. I haven't listened to these yet. Your entire business comes down to the value that you're going to provide to that specific group of people. And it's not just about the business. It's truly about sustainability. Okay. Okay. If that's, there's AI that's... in that, I have no idea. Where it is. <laughs> yeah, that's truly. pretty amazing. All right. Here's number two. But if you're not passionate about what you make, the success you find will be hard to keep. You can't do that for a long period of time without being lost from my experience. Okay. The middle of that, I think, is yeah, AI. Hard to keep. Hard to keep. Hard to keep. But I mean... So unbelievably close, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and and we know what we said and what we didn't say. But I'm curious for everyone who was listening and watching, like, was it that obvious to you? Because the, the one of the most interesting things that we've heard about AI is people regularly say that this is the worst that it will be. Yeah, everything you experience, everything you see, everything you listen to is the worst version of it. Yeah that you will ever experience. So this is going to get, like that is text. Yeah. Like Bryce, uh, who's editing here, was typing in text mm -hmm. and it was creating our voice. To help build out a video. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I, I mean, there's definitely a future in two years where you can just use ChatGPT to say, imagine a conversation between Colin and Samir. It'll give us the transcript. And then you load that into another software and say, give me their voices having this conversation. I think it's gonna be really, really hard to tell in audio. I also think what this unlocks from just like a, a business perspective is probably audiobooks is one of the first places, mm -hmm. right? Hey, let me give you consent. I don't have to go read my audiobook now. Can you just put my book through this thing and it'll spit out an audiobook? Mm -hmm. I don't have to go do it. Or in movies where they have to book actors for additional days to do voiceover, those are really expensive days. So they can just say, hey, can I actually just license the rights to your voice in case we need to do ADR? I'll just punch it in. I think it will open up, obviously, a lot of creative opportunities, but there is something worrisome, obviously, about knowing what's real and what's not. Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to have to have some sort of layer of verification for yeah. audio, for text, for video. Yep. A and how do you even do that? Because the only way that I can possibly prove that what I'm taking in is from another human is if they are standing in front of me. And yeah, I can confirm that sure. this is a human talking to me right now because the internet, how can we verify? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen. But to, And the, the thing that's really interesting is how much of us as creators is out there. You know, like our voice 
You, you and I have been doing this podcast since 2018. Yeah, we gave consent to Descript to recreate our yeah. voice, but you don't have to. Yeah, yeah, someone else could just you do, can do it. do that anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of our face. There's so much data about us as creators or us as individuals through these social platforms that that's that's what's interesting is you, you start to see like on YouTube, some of these, the bots and like the streams that started to come up across YouTube of, mm-hmm. this happened to Linus um, like two weeks ago where, you know, the Tesla scam where it's like, the the channel gets taken over and there's like an Elon Musk live stream and mm-hmm. it's like fake and it's a deep fake of Elon. It's really weird. But that stu- type of stuff can happen now way more frequently where it's like, yeah, you just take someone's voice and they're saying something and you take someone's. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very odd thing. I don't know how it's going to impact YouTube. I think there's, you know, the, the one side, which is we are not we don't, if someone asked me like, are you really into AI right now? I'd be like, not really. But then when I zoom out, I'm like every week, almost every day I'm engaging with AI. Yeah. Every day. It's, you don't even notice that it's a part of our workflow. And then on the other side, there's the terrifying, like, did you see, um, Will Smith eating spaghetti? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Text to video is bizarre. Text to video is bizarre. I I think when it comes to how it's going to affect YouTube, I don't think it's going to destroy YouTube. I think it's going to integrate with YouTube in ways that are pretty seamless. Mm. And I think it's going to turn YouTube into an even more global platform. Mm-hmm. If you remember mm-hmm. when Jimmy released his Squid Game video, yeah, um, we made a video about Squid Game at that time. Yeah, and the reason that we said Squid Game was so popular was because it was released dubbed into so many languages at once. Yeah, it was true. kind of the first of its kind. Sure. And what's coming is the ability for every creator to have their videos dubbed into any language mm-hmm. because similar to what we just did with Descript, you load in your voice, you give consent, and all of a sudden you could listen to our podcast yep, in multiple, in multiple yeah. languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, text-to-video is strange because it might disrupt the like how-to search on the internet, how to tie a tie, mm-hmm. you know, could be created through AI, how to cut a pineapple like that, that world of search on YouTube might get completely disrupted. Mm-hmm. The how to, uh, the instructional video. But again, it's the, 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 the only way to safeguard yourself against this as a creator is a, just like learn about it, learn how to use it, but B also like think about things that only you can do. Like what, what are, what are the human moments? And that comes, you know, all the way around to just don't just create based on algorithmic feedback. Mm-hmm. There has to be a human touch point here. And I want to I want to talk about a tweet I saw, Mr. Beast, he tweeted a retention graph from one of his videos that has over 50 million views. And one of the craziest things is 76% of viewers are still watching around the 30 second mark, which is above typical. And what's what's incredible about this graph is like the way he's able to hold everyone's attention through this video, like that's amazing. And that has been the craft of this wave of YouTube. But the first thing I thought about when I saw this tweet was, hmm, 70% of people are there after about a minute. How strange would it be if you were in a movie theater and 30% of people just walked out after like a minute of watching something mm-hmm. or whatever the equivalent is, right? After like 20% of the video, they Think just, about the lengths you would have to go to to yeah. offend 30% <laughs> of the people so much. Yeah, or just in the theater, not or engage make them, them. Yeah. yeah. That they will get up and leave. And I just thought about the mediums of storytelling and like when you purchase a ticket to go to a movie, how different that is from the amount of choice you have on the internet. And I think that um, what will continue to get further and further apart, especially with the addition of AI, is internet content versus like 
real life experiences. Mm-hmm. Like people might end up buying tickets and going to plays and buying tickets and going to the movies now because internet content might become so mathematical, you mm-hmm. know, and with the, with the layering on top of AI, it might become almost indistinguishable and the, and the lack of human touch point will make you crave more. Yeah, of I like, think that's a yeah. good thing for art. A good it's thing a good thing for, for art. Performance. Yeah, for sure. I've been thinking a lot lately about Noel Miller and how he's been on tour, mm-hmm. his comedy tour. He's selling out huge venues totally all over the country. And it's super exciting to me that he can put out so much work online, but be able to have that in-person experience because it's hard to distinguish as a creator. Yeah, it's really hard. What does it mean to get, you know, millions of views? Mm-hmm. But to be there in person is such a different thing. I was talking to you this morning, you know, the impact of scrolling TikTok or Instagram and seeing someone wearing our press publish hat that I don't know Mm -hmm. is so amazing and so impactful. But, um, you know, 30 million views on our last short on the main channel. I don't know what to do with that. What does that even mean? Right. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Also, these hats are cool. I'm very proud of this hat. Yeah, yeah. It's a great hat. It's a great hat. It's a good hat. It's a good hat. Is it a great hat or a good hat? It's a a wonderful hat. (laughs) Okay, let's get to our next question. This comes from Caroline Winkler from the subreddit. It's titled, Could Scarcity Be an Undervalued Asset? Hey guys, Uh, first I just want to say how much I love your work as two such polarizing yet complimentary pioneers of the world of fashion. Like many creators, I find myself burning out, churning out, YouTube videos every week, I'm burnt out, but I'm also greedy. Like any of us, I don't wanna lose any of the traction that I've worked so hard to gain. I don't wanna risk that by taking time off. But in this age when consistency is king and everyone wants you to diversify onto every platform, sometimes I wonder if scarcity is actually kind of an undervalued asset, like letting your audience miss you a little bit. So I guess logistically, do you see a future where breaks are more built into the creator career? I'd really like to hear how you guys schedule taking time off for yourselves and your companies if you do. I'm, I would love to hear. Okay, Caroline, fantastic question. And also one of the best descriptions of YouTube creators I've ever heard, burnt out and greedy. <laughs> I just thought that was a, that's a really funny pairing of, you know, two words. Caroline has a YouTube channel um, with over 400,000 subscribers, uh, makes comedy content as well as interior design. Um, very cool, but but really great question from Caroline. Every creator is going to have a different relationship with their audience, right? I do think there's something to, to going away. You know, I think about mm-hmm. Severance, which is a show that I yeah. really, really enjoy. It hasn't been on the air in such a long time. I can't wait for it to come mm-hmm. back. And you would still identify as a fan of Severance. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though it hasn't been on the air in, I don't know, a year? Yeah, it's the, sa- it's the same thing with musicians. Like, you know, I think what we forget is we, we are creating libraries of work, um, you know, Frank Ocean, someone we brought up before, we, we, we said a term, the Frank Ocean effect, where he like puts out work and then leaves mm-hmm. uh, and doesn't come back for years and years and years. And you recognize like there's still fans of Frank Ocean, even though he's not putting out yeah. work. One of like, my favorite moments still from exists. Aziz Ansari's comedy special is he, yeah. he brings up a moment where he sees Frank Ocean at a party and he's like, Frank, how do you do it? And Frank's like, oh yeah, you just, you gotta be okay making less money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think understanding um, the term enough is something that we just don't do as creators very often. You and I talk about this a lot, but like just taking out a pen and pad and being like, what's enough? What's enough money? What's enough viewership? How much do I actually need of this stuff? You know, like I, I think 
Eric said it to us when we interviewed him. Um, you're only capped by your willingness to work. Right now, we don't know the bounds of the internet. We don't know. No one has seen like, oh, that's the cap. I can't make any more money on YouTube than that. You know, it's an ever expanding environment where every time you upload, you create more opportunity. You you do another brand deal. You make more AdSense. You add to the library. It lifts the whole library. Someone reaches out to you. You collaborate. And um, I do think we're we're in a space where scarcity is undervalued. Like I really do agree with her um, on that that term. I think scarcity um, creates like a premium brand. Like being like think about fashion brands, which by the way. She called us two polarizing figures in the world of fashion. Appreciate that. Um, but you think about fashion brands like Supreme. Supreme became very valuable because it was so scarce. Like they released products that you couldn't get. That made it premium. That made the price go up. Mm -hmm. So the less available you are as an artist, if you're really good, you can become more premium. Yeah. I would say if, you're, if your business is advertising based though, it implies that you're in a position where you can- sure take time off yeah. and actually be scarce or take time off and then drive your rates up because now yeah, yeah. you know your assumption is that there will be less content but maybe it'll be higher mm -hmm. viewership mm -hmm. and you can charge higher rates like there there's a dynamic there um and i think it's a risk that there's always that risk you step away you come back and people are like yeah totally and, and it's not maybe about people missing you yeah it's just about uh, maybe it wasn't your best work when you sure. came back. Maybe the algorithm slightly changed. People the, were focused on other things and like just happened not to find your work again. Like, I don't know. The only way to safeguard around that is to keep your expenses and your overhead so low that you can pivot. You know, I, that's the only way because if you want to be scarce and want to not play into that, then like typically what happens with creators is as they start growing and I'll speak from experience, as you start growing and um, more brand deals start coming in and more opportunities start coming in, you immediately build more expenses. You hire more people, you you rent a bigger studio. Um, and then that creates a situation where you can't say no anymore. You know, you, you can't say I'm not going to upload anymore because now you've created a situation where you have to meet those expenses. And I think as artists and ex as creators, we always want to plan for not knowing at all who we're going to be in six months. And I think that's something that's really important of being like, if you want to play in that world of scarcity and and thinking about breaks and thinking about, you know, just plan ahead and be like, in six months, I could not be into this. That is a possibility. So how do I plan for that? How do I plan for that in six months? I'm going to want to take two months off, you know? And if you look at that, then again, it all comes back to that first exercise of like, what's enough? What's enough money? What's enough videos? What's enough viewership? Coming up with that would be really helpful. But I think- from a consumer perspective, I think we all have to recognize that artists and creatives and creative work that's scarce still has loyal, like they still have loyal fan bases, mm -hmm. whether that's TV shows, musicians, like, you know, Blink-182 plays in two weeks. I'd probably try and go buy a ticket to that. I mean, I'm going to Postal Service and Death Cab. Same. Right? So, and like, I haven't seen, I haven't seen them. I'm not really that big of a fan of their new work. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited to, I'll buy the ticket and go see them because the relationship I have with the work that they did, because it was really meaningful work. But music isn't advertising based. No, it's not. It's yeah. not in that cycle of needing to reach the maximum amount. Sure. Or the right amount of people so that another brand. Sure. Can make money off of that interaction. Yeah, that's true. It's, right? Yeah, it's probably shifting the business model too, if you're going to be scarce.
to yeah. more like direct with your community. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy to do. I'm not going to say that being scarce is, is um, an easy thing to do, but I will say that I think I agree with Caroline that it's undervalued, that I think that creators can look around and be like, is scarcity something that, you know, would be a value here? I, I kind of like the the perspective that Ludwig gave us when he was on the show and he talked about how when people look back at your year as a creator, mm. they don't remember the regular uploads. They remember the things that you eventized. Yeah. So like his chess boxing event. Yep. He's been doing these types of big events. You know, it's like core to who he is as a creator. Mm -hmm. And that's in a way, those events are what are scarce. Yeah. Within the rest of his content, that's maybe easier to make, mm -hmm. you know, showing sure. up on the yard or mogul mail. Like he has these engines, as we'll call them, things that he's able to pump out frequently mm. And then he, similarly to an album, in the background is working on something bigger yeah, yeah, that he yeah. can eventize. That's cool. Think about like, what that are you dropping? Scarce. Yeah, yeah, what, what are you are dropping? dropping? Uh, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Well, Caroline, I hope that was helpful. And I think to all creators who are thinking about the same thing, but I think even just naming that, like we're burnt out and greedy, uh, breaks are incredibly important. Like I, I, I can say that it's really, really hard when you are experiencing momentum and compound interest as a creator, like when for the first time it's working, when all the pieces are coming together, the viewership is getting up, the opportunities are going, like it feels like, oh my God, this is all happening. Very hard to pump the brakes in that moment. But, you know, we just uploaded our first video. We took a four month break on the main channel. On the main channel, yes. On the main but channel. Was it really a break? I think that's something interesting to talk sure. about. Because a, a four month break from uploading a long form video to the main channel. Yeah. <laughs> Can you read the comment that was left on the video? Yeah. Yesterday. This was a comment on the video that we posted. Um, this comes from money talk with Tristan Thomas, just poking the bear and continuing the conversation of posting frequencies from the pod. I feel like this video didn't take three months to make. Was it that you guys were working on something else and you decided that this was a format that could be thrown out faster than other ongoing projects, or did you guys just wait until you had a topic you were passionate about? I'd love some insight on behind the scenes decision-making that made this the first video you guys put out in three months. Maybe discuss it on the pod. Here we are, Money Talk with Tristan Thomas, discussing it on the pod. That was something that I expected to happen, that people would assume the reason we haven't been uploading, especially coming off of one of our last videos of the year being a 40-minute yeah. documentary style video mm -hmm. uh, that some people would be like, oh, okay. As these guys said <laughs> on this exact show, they're going to be making more documentary yeah, style yeah. stuff. Yeah, They're going to be taking longer, making more watchable mm -hmm. videos as opposed to just podcasts. So I assumed that people would have, some people would have an expectation of what sure. was going to come out. And that worried me for a while. And I think it's why we've had a lot of edits where we've been really back and forth and a little bit indecisive mm -hmm. trying to figure out what it is. Uh, but the last two weeks, once we knew we had this Austin Cleon interview and we were excited about it, it was just like, oh, okay, take, strip away some of those expectations mm -hmm. that you're mainly putting on yourself and just get back in the flow, like rip the bandaid off, mm -hmm. put a video out and get back in the flow of this, this experience of publishing videos. Yeah. I also think, um, we've been producing, which is a good thing. Like we have a lot of episodes coming down the pipe now, which is great. This is actually a, maybe one of the most unique scenarios we've been in. When I look three weeks, four weeks, now six weeks, and I know what's coming out every week and it's already shot and it's 
batch produced. We kind of fell upon this seasonality that we talked about last year yeah. without actually such an intention of it. The one thing we knew was we were going to take a break in January. That's something we knew. But what ended up happening was that break, at least for me, made me kind of think broader about everything we were doing. And in that time, it also opened up the space for us to start this show. It opened up the space for us to settle into this new studio and finish it. it I had to get my wisdom teeth out. That's right. That's we, the whole thing. We did a lot of public speaking. Um, but as the months went on, I became increasingly anxious about what it was going to be like to publish because of this, because of this expectation that if you and I are spending three months not publishing, something is going to be big when we come back. Um, and I think that like, I'm really grateful for this time because personally, I feel like I've reestablished a relationship with uploading content to this channel, to the Colin and Samir main channel. I think that sometimes, or, or a lot of times as you grow as a creator, I've talked to other creators about this, that the reward for publishing is not having a video flop. Like you're so scared to make something that doesn't work that the reward is that it just wasn't a 10 out of 10. That's mm -hmm. the reward. It just, oh, whew, what a relief. It didn't do terribly. And that relationship is very strange with your work. As It's very fear-based. You're like, I just hope this doesn't flop, you know? And then mm -hmm. when we started producing again, I would say in February and started like making stuff and having conversations with people, when we came off of the Austin Cleon conversation, I was just like, that was an amazing conversation. It energized me and I can't wait for people to see it. And that reestablished relationship of like the reward is that we made something exciting. And when we put it up, I have a different relationship with it. I'm like, that's amazing that we got to put up something great. We get to be supported by the audience that enjoys our stuff. And we get to be supported by, you know, sponsors that have come behind us and, and wanted mm -hmm. to support our mission. Like all of this is a reestablished relationship with publishing. And of course you're doing it in, in like in a dance with your audience. Like you're, you, the audience has a huge impact on what we're doing every day. But I think the type of creator and creative that I want to grow into is having extreme confidence in the work that I'm putting out and seeing who, who resonates with that. Not being so afraid of the people who don't resonate and wanting to, to bring them over. Which I think we were last year. For sure. Even though we found a lot of growth, more growth than ever in yeah. 2022, a lot of the decisions were pretty based in fear. fear. For sure, man. Like, Not that like, sure. a lot of the episodes we made were conversations we wanted to have with yeah, of course. really yeah. interesting people. But, you know, the, the edits and every yeah. little micro decision mm -hmm. was based in, I hope this doesn't flop. Yes, yeah. And I think that's like, um, it, it's strategic. And to do this as a career, you have to live in that world. It's not like we don't live in the world of scrutinizing storytelling and making sure that everything is justified. And we are storytellers, so we care about that. But I think um, doing as much as you can to control what you want to put out and the emotion that you're feeling, that you feel good about putting something out, the rest, you know, you'll see and, and you'll find out once it's out. And I think that new relationship, it's like, I agree. I was expecting this too. Um, but I look down and I'm, I'm like, man, the next six weeks, this is something we've been working on for a while, this next batch of interviews. Yeah. So yeah, 
we have been working on this and our new relationship with our work is something we've been working on. And this show, it's something we've been working on, but it feels like not publishing for so long. You almost feel like you've disappeared in some way. Yeah, it's nice. But we I, haven't. Actually, we haven't. <laughs> yeah. Because we've been here on Creator Sport. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's been it's been nice. I think the question that I have now is in two to three weeks when we're uploading an episode every week here and we're mm. uploading an episode every week mm, on mm. our main channel. Yeah. Are we saturated? Is it yeah, yeah. no longer scarce? <laughs> and we are just yeah, yeah. everywhere. And people are like, this is way too much, Colin and Samir. Yeah. I think the answer is as long as you know, the episodes are interesting to the people that find them, mm -hmm. then we're okay. Like, and we care about it and we think it's good work. Yeah. Every, it's like, not like but, people are going to watch every video you've ever made all the time. Yeah. But the, you can't have I, that. I, assumption. I, I totally agree. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, how many people have watched long form videos on our main channel in the last four days, Colin? Yeah. I have no idea. What, what am I? What am I? I know. What am I? The YouTube analytics? I know. Are you playing the guessing game with me? Absolutely. Uh, four days in the last four days. How many people have watched? One million people. You didn't even let me guess. Yeah. Because you hate the guessing game. I do. I don't like yeah. the guessing game. Yeah. <laughs> one million people. Unless I last, guess right. In the last like four the days, game. one million people have watched our videos, right? So you can feel like you've disappeared, but you, you, we're putting out libraries of work that people will walk. And like that's, that's a part of this new relationship with putting out work is like the Austin Cleon episode. I look at it as a timeless piece of content. Mm -hmm. Like that, yes, the people who watched it on the first day, awesome. People watching on the second day, awesome. People watching on the first week, great. But I was saying to you when we went out to lunch yesterday, like I'm interested to see one year from now what that video looks like. And now I have this new relationship with it where I'm like this, I'm really proud of this piece. And in two years, I'm still gonna be proud of this piece. And it's going to find a ton of people in two years. And mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, a new relationship to look at even some of the videos last year that didn't perform well when you first published them. Where are they today? You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Our interview with Cody Co. and Noel Miller was a 10 out of 10 when it first launched. It has over a million views and over an hour of AVD. And those are one out of 10 guys. Those are one out of 10 guys. Confusing when you put out the video and sure. it's a 10 out of 10. Sure. Yeah. All right. Next question. Next question. From Guion Central on Twitter. It says, what's the ideal lean creator team look like? The minimum a creator needs to function sustainably, assuming they have some level of cash flow. Well, there are some creators who would prefer to work with almost no one. But well, let's talk about the roles because that, yeah, I yeah, agree with like you. the roles could be filled by one person, but there are like the Casey Neistats of the world, the mm -hmm. Mark Robers, who, when it comes to the creative side of the business, yeah, would prefer to be pretty much a one man show. Perhaps at some point they bring in assistant editors, things yeah, like that. But let's talk about the roles. Like, if, if even if you're one person, let's break you up into like what's the lean creator startup, mm -hmm. right? The, the first is somebody has to come up with ideas, there has to be a visionary. That's what I would say is like, number one, as a lean creator startup, the whole thing doesn't work unless you have a visionary, right? Someone who has ideas. So that's number one. The second thing is someone to execute on those ideas. That's broken up into a producer who's going to make sure those ideas happen, a post-producer who's going to say, once we've shot the idea, once we've created it, how are we going to make it, mm -hmm. you know? And then, you know, you have kind of that like, distribution and packaging. So that all can be one person. That's mostly one creator. When you start, it's like, you're the producer, the editor, mm -hmm. the visionary, the distribution and packaging person. But all those roles need to be filled. And then if you're doing this as a career, the other side that needs to be filled is sales. How are you selling? 
Now that could be filled by YouTube, the platform, right? Mm -hmm. You can be a partner in the partner program and go, I put out content, YouTube sells, they pay me a revenue share. Mm -hmm. That that's absolutely. Or that sales can be a manager or it can be an agent or it can be you. Mm -hmm. You can call brands and say, hey, I'd love to integrate you. But I think you have to, you know, first break it up into creative and business. And on the creative side, it's the visionary who comes up with the idea and then the execution team mm -hmm. who makes it happen. And on the business side, it's sales. Simple. And then I would say like, as a good practice, once you start making money, someone to look after the money. Accountant. Sure. Yeah. Something or the other, you know. And mm -hmm. then again, on the sales side, legal, someone to look at contracts. Yeah. Not to overcomplicate, but just split it into those two. And, you know, I think there's there's a, um, a rough, you know, scaled down version of the functions. Um, and then you replicate that for every format. Again, could be the same people, but it's roles. Start with roles and then figure out who fills those. Mm -hmm. right. I, don't, I don't have much to add. Okay. All right. I think the key there is just having a good understanding of which roles you want to fulfill. Mm, yeah. Which ones you don't. Yeah. And what are you actually best at? Yeah. Cause it, that can be one person or when you and I started out, it was you and me. Yeah. And like, I looked after the business and you looked after the creative. And sometimes you just got to do them mm -hmm. to yeah, understand it, if you like them or not. And if you're good at them and the best thing about being a creator is that it can be done with one person Yeah, that can get lonely and confusing and you want people to bounce ideas off of. But like the reality is you, you, the leanest version of a mm -hmm. creator team is one creator. There are some really lean creator teams out really there. Really lean creator teams. Yeah. All right. Creator seed funding. This comes from the subreddit from Blackhawk81329. First, we had crowdfunding projects, then paywalled content. So is seed funding the next evolution for how audiences will support their favorite creators? Background. Johnny Harris just launched seed funding round for his startup, Bright Trip, using Republic, a platform that provides investment access for startup crypto, real estate, art, music, and more. So the question is, is this world of, of seed funding where like someone can look at a creator's project and not just, not like a Kickstarter where they're like, I or pledge. Like a Patreon. Or a Patreon where it's like, I pledge. It's like, hey, I'm going to put some money, but I'm like in this project with you. You know, I'll get something back. Um, it's, we, we talking DAOs here? No, we we're talking not talking crypto DAOs. tokens? What talking, are we talking We're here? talking seed funding. <laughs> yeah. This is what I think. The reality is we're moving in a direction where creators are requiring capital for big ideas. And there's a, there's many different ways to, to get the capital. Um, you know, getting it from your audience. I think you, you want to be really, really confident in that and how that works. I'm not that familiar with how, you know, Republic works, or I know there's another company called Everbloom. Um, but there's different things you can leverage now. Like, you know, one of our, 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 our biggest partner this year is Spotter and Spotter, um, you can leverage your catalog, right? You can leverage mm -hmm. what we just talked about. Like you are building these timeless assets in YouTube videos and you can actually license the revenue rights to them and they can give you an upfront check that you can then go invest in businesses. And as we've seen, creators are, are doing that. Um, a lot of creators are doing that. Creators like Mr. Beast, Eric, Destroying, like a lot of the creators they're working with are taking these investments and, and building. So I think creators are looking for large sums of capital to launch businesses because that's the iteration we're on in the creator economy now. And there's many different ways to get it. So the question being like, is seed funding the next big thing in the creator world? I think we'll just see specific creators figure out how to get 
large injections of capital to launch things. And as creators, you have many options to do that, which is interesting, different from another business where you don't have that many options. I have such little experience raising capital. Mm. Mm -hmm. I can't even begin to tell someone advice in this instance of whether you should raise it from your audience, whether you should go to, you know, I'm not the guy. For I this. think it comes down to the the last question around the lean creator startup. Like, do you use only your own things or do you add more people into the mix? You know? Yeah. For me, adding more people into the mix just gets complicated. It, get, it complicates things. Like I sure. probably would rather a relationship with one or two investors who helped me raise capital mm -hmm. than 500. Right. Exactly. Who feel like they're waiting for a return. Yes. And are getting angry and totally. anxious. Yeah. I'd rather deal with one I'm, anxious, angry person. Yeah. I want to look into it more because I'm interested in, in, in what's going on over there. But yeah. yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, are you watching Nico Milana and Gideon's Biggest Menace series? Well, first off, I'm watching American Idol right now. Okay. If we want to get Unexpected real. thing it's to say. One um, of the best shows question. on television. Why? The drama. Okay. Not even the drama. The way they're able to pull on your heartstrings in a matter of 30 seconds to a minute mm. and make you cry. It's unbelievable. Mm. It reminds me of Matthew Lund from Pixar mm -hmm. talking to us about the first two minutes of the movie Up, mm. about how it was really difficult for them to pitch an animated story about a really old guy who was lonely. And the way that they sold it was with those first two minutes yeah. where the first two minutes brings you up and down and up and down. And it like really gets you connected to the story. Mm. American Idol right now is doing that in like 30 seconds to a minute. It's unbelievable. So but, the question I asked you was, are you watching <laughs> Nicole Milana and Judy on yeah, series? And I got real. The biggest menace. What I'm watching right now <laughs> is American Idol. Yes, I've watched two episodes yeah. of their show, which is super interesting. I think just the yeah. fact that these two guys are like some of the biggest pranksters mm -hmm. on YouTube and they are collaborating on each other's channels. They're challenging each other to yeah. four different challenges. And what I love is that, you know, you would think that they would be doing the pranks on their own channel, mm -hmm. but it's actually like them yeah. playing the prank master on and the telling other the other one what to do. Super interesting. So if you guys haven't seen it, they're, they're distributing this series called The Biggest Menace across both of their channels. So it's, it's, I, I don't know that I've ever seen something like that before. Mm -hmm. You know, have you, I haven't seen it where it's like, like Gideon is on Nico's channel talking to, to Nico's audience, making Nico do things. Yeah. Nico or Nico? No, I think Nico. Nico. Okay. It, yeah. It's, um, what I like about it is that it doesn't necessarily, the pranks don't really harm anyone. Mm, but yeah. there are a lot of stakes. It reminds yeah. me of like a good senior prank where it's like, hey, don't mess with someone's day. Don't make someone have to like clean up a bunch of stuff. Right, right. Do something where it's like, oh, that was clever. Mm -hmm. And have have all of the stakes be on you, the prankster. Yeah. And these guys are willing to get arrested. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah, which Like is when wild. Nico gets arrested at, at, a, at the, the Masters, or, at the Masters yeah. or whatever it is um, for being on the course. Yeah. Like that doesn't really harm anyone. Yeah. But, but there's it's pretty, big, it's but it's pretty, pretty insane. Yeah, it's willing really to get arrested. Yeah. I think from, yeah, some of the pranks I'm uncomfortable with. Like I, you know, look at that and I'm like, I can't, I would imagine, never. I can't imagine trying to do something like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I look at the way they're producing it as like a show that's distributed across two massive distribution platforms. And I'm like, wow, that's really smart. And even the way they're making it, it's well made. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Like it's fun to follow the story. You have to watch till the end. Like they do almost this old school TV style of testimonials and interviews. Like Mm -hmm. they're making it in a very professional way. Yeah. And you can feel the lean creator startup vibe of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not made by a production company. You, you, you can't feel the like intensive production value, which is what makes it so interesting. Yeah. It's so uniquely YouTube. This yeah, is a show that couldn't YouTube. happen anywhere, but on social platforms. Totally. Just because of the fact that there's dual distribution to it. Yeah. There's a really popular show in Practical Jokers, mm-hmm. which is on cable. It's on television. And like, it's a group of friends and they challenge each other to do pranks. Yeah. And there's like, you know, if they don't do the prank or whatever, they get punished in some sort of way. And it, like, it sounds very social media, sounds very YouTube, but it's produced at a television quality level. Mm-hmm. And what I love about The Biggest Menace is like, there's no other place you could do this but YouTube because of the fact that you have two creators with large followings who are distributing it on each other's channels. Yeah. Like that is so unique. Very unique. Um, someone tweeted that they wanted to see us interview Nico and Gideon together. Gideon tweeted at Nico saying he's down. I said, I'm down. I don't know where it goes from here. We're just waiting. Your move, guys, right? No, or just open invite to come. To I the think studio. it's an open invite. Yeah, open I don't invite. think it's like a threat. I don't want to mess with these guys. Like, <laughs> No, no threat here. Just actually excitement. Just, uh, to, we'd, we'd love friendly, to chat with you guys. Safe, yeah. open invitation. We'd love to chat with you guys about the yeah. series. Um, okay, I'm going to end with this. The uh, we, we had a discussion in, in the subreddit about asking to for us to interview smaller creators, 50 to 100K range, uh, since that's more relatable to the audience. That was an interesting point. I, I agree with that. Um, would love to hear some you know, ideas and mm-hmm. would love to, to, you can put them in the comments here on YouTube. You can tweet them at us. Um, would love to hear some ideas about what type, wh- which creators you, you would love to hear us talk yeah, to. I, I would say if you're gonna leave a comment with a creator or send us a tweet, make sure to say why, why? you think yeah. that creator is unique. Mm-hmm. What makes them different? What makes them stand out? Because I think that'd be really fun. I think also like if a creator is facing any sort of, you know, problems or needs support themselves, um, happy to to hop on the show and work through, do creator support like mm-hmm. with that creator. That'd be awesome. Um, but there was a comment from Alex the Grape uh, on that thread suggesting that maybe there could be video shout outs too of these smaller channels. Mm-hmm. Also, I just want to acknowledge uh, for anyone listening, anyone watching, yeah, this is the deep end. Like you're in it. We're deep. We're deep in it. And we probably should have announced it earlier. Earlier. Mm-hmm. But welcome. Sometimes you don't even know you're here. Sometimes you just get so deep. You're underwater. That you can't see. Mm-hmm. Is that where we are? Yes. Yeah, we're we deep, are there. We're deep yeah. in the deep end. If you're mm-hmm. with us, snorkel emojis, please. Yeah. Um, so Alex- Also, one second, I dropped the pool toy and it's down at the bottom. I gotta go get it. So Alex <laughs> said that he's suggesting that people submit video shout outs to smaller channels, uh, which was something that we did a couple of weeks ago where someone suggested an Italian creator and told us their story. I thought yeah. that was really cool. So, you know, please send us videos about other creators that we should know about because we'll play them on the show too. And, and other people can learn about all these creators. So let us know about that. And if you made it here to the deep end, Please, snorkel emoji. All right, see you next week. Before we go, any gripes, any delights? What do you got? Right now, uh, the delight, honestly, was publishing our video with Austin Cleon. That mm-hmm. was great. Like that that was an awesome conversation, um, awesome response so far. Just been really happy about the videos that we have coming out on the main channel. Okay. Anything from you? No, 
That's it. All right, that's it this week for creator support. Go check out our interview with Austin Kleon. It's live on the main channel right now. If you haven't watched that yet, check that out and get ready because we got interviews coming to the main channel every week for the next couple of weeks. It's going to be really exciting. All right, we'll see you next week.